Did I tell you guys that this Sunday is normally called Youth Pastor Sunday? Because, because it's the least attended uh, Sunday of the year. I always thought that's funny. This time of year, um, there's a couple of things that I really enjoy because, you know, the way we keep things special is we keep them stored away for 10 to 11 months and we bring them out one month a year. This year we went to my grandma's house and she brought out some things that I have not seen in 10 to 12 years because there are new babies. She has a stuffed reindeer pulling a sleigh that is yellowed with time that I remember playing with, that I know my uncles and aunts played with, and the jubilation in my children's face, seeing the, playing with the bells and everything else, um, it brought me so much joy. Like that, one of the things that I really look forward to this time of year is telling everyone, I'll see you next year, or I'm not available until next year. The phrase makes it seem like it's so much longer than it is, even though the new year is only a week away. There's special things that come at the end of the year that have a tendency to just um, make us happy or to remember the, um, remember the end of the years in the past and remember the different celebrations and festivities that we've gone through. This year, for our Youth Pastor Sunday, I want to stick with our Christmas series that we started a few weeks ago. Even though Christmas is past, we're not going to get out of the series this week. Now, our Christmas series, if you remember, it's been somewhat unconventional, but last year I kind of said, I think it's been the most unconventional, conventional Christmas series we could have possibly done because we're exploring the traditional Themes that follow Christmas. Hope, joy, peace, and last, faith. Last week we have our final word, to look, this week we have our final word to look at, and that is faith. Sticking with that theme, thinking about this being the week after Christmas, and being able to say to you all that next week when we meet here in the same place, I will see you next year. I hope that exploring this word would also remind us and help us to see that what we celebrate at Christmas is not a seasonal event or a one-time event, but that it is something that establishes what is much bigger than itself. Looking at the word faith, we should be reminded that the encouragement that we have from the Bible to be spurred on to faith is something that we carry with us all year long. And so while we pack up the toys that stay in the garage and they can continue to yellow with time, the Christmas spirit really doesn't end with the year or with the month. Because what we celebrate is bigger than that. Let's recap one more time where we've been. Hope isn't something conditional. It isn't related to wishful thinking but it is an expectant confidence in what is to come in the future. Peace 
is more than the absence of conflict, but it brings about friendship and familiarity. Joy is not reliant on circumstances or positions that we find ourselves in, but it is rather reliant on a person, namely Jesus. And last, faith. How should we define faith? I could try to come up with a way to define it, but fortunately, one author in the New Testament found the words with the inspiration of the Spirit guiding him, and so I will yield to the Spirit's authority. The author of Hebrews writes at the beginning of chapter 11, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Which simply means that faith, like hope, is confidence in things that we did not witness for ourselves. I've I've said that hope always exists in the future because it's always looking forward to what is yet to come. One way to think of faith, I think, would be to say that hope is simply faith in the future tense. With that in mind, then, we can turn to our text, which comes from the same, or it's within the same context, actually, before the passage that I just read in Hebrews 11.1. This morning, I'd like to read from Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 25, as we explore what is this confidence that we have to hold on to. If you would, turn your Bibles there now to prepare to read along with me after we pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the opportunity and the privilege that we have to come together and to gather in your name, to worship together and to praise you. God, I thank you for the encouragement that we have to be surrounded by voices who are singing alongside us. God, I thank you for the encouragement that we have in friendships in our church and in our communities and in our families, people who prompt us and spur us onward to a life that glorifies you and brings us closer to knowing you. God, I pray this morning that as we worship through a reading and the preaching of your word, that you would guide our hearts and our minds, that you would allow us to set aside any distractions that are within us. God, that we would take this time now to submit ourselves to you. God, I pray that you would help us all not to be distracted, but God, to be yielding. God, I pray that you would grant us the insight and the clarity that we need to understand these things. And as we turn to your word, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart that we might behold the awesome truths in your law. In Jesus' heavenly name, I pray and ask all of this. Amen. Reading then from our text this morning, you can read along with me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, the Bible says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, 
For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. This morning I'd like to... um, Well, I joke that some passages preach themselves, and this is one of those passages, and I think you can see it if you look at it. It's a list of actual instructions. The application's not far from us, and so we don't have to do much to get there. The author writes an argument. Therefore, since something is going on, and we'll talk about that, let's do this, let's do this, and let's do this. This passage really preaches itself, and if you want to read ahead, you have all the spoilers in front of you. This morning, I just want to walk through this text with you. First, I want to look at the author's argument. He says, since, and then he lays out four and a half arguments that lay the basis for the things that we should do. Really, it's two things. And then he supports them. The first thing he says is, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places. What is the author talking about? Well, he's talking about, if you remember, we actually started a a sermon series on Hebrews that we have to come back and finish at some time about a year ago. But the entire point is he's making an audience to a Jewish or he's making an argument to a Jewish audience that these people should be reminded and that they should be encouraged to understand that Jesus is greater than everything they've ever had in the past. In fact, that all of the traditions and everything that they clinged on to from the past isn't that important because of who they have in Jesus. If I could summarize the author's argument, it's something like, I know that you really like your car, but I'm giving you a new car. You shouldn't have a problem ditching the old car for the new car. I know that you had a good Levitical system and a nice priesthood and everything was really nice. But what we have in this new covenant is even better. Not only does it replace everything that you have, but it's even better. And we know that in the Levitical system or in the Jewish tradition, there was a great emphasis on sacrifices and how people would worship. There were prescriptive ordinances that defined what worship looked like and how it took place. And one of those things was who could enter the holy places and how these things could be achieved. In the Jewish tradition, it wasn't anyone that could walk into the holy place of God to worship Him, but that you would actually worship God through an intercessory or somebody that you would go to to worship God on your behalf, and that was your form of worship. But through Jesus, it's totally different. Through the new covenant and the new system, it's totally different. In fact, every believer is made a priest a part of the royal priesthood. Therefore, since you have confidence to enter the holy places on your own, and these are the things that give you confidence, the blood of Jesus. Pause there. Be reminded. 
that when we talk about the sacrificial systems of the Old Testament, we have not done away with any of them. This wasn't a point of convenience that we're no longer having to make sacrifices on the altar of God as a form of worship. Instead, our sacrifice is complete. Because Jesus was a perfect sacrifice, there is no need for this repetitive system. Since the perfect lamb without blemish has been slain, we can have confidence to enter into the holy places. Through this new covenant, through this new system of worship that Jesus has established for us. That's not just new. It's alive. It's a living way. Opened up for us through his flesh. We talk about the Christmas story and how miraculous it is to consider even what it means that God, that Jesus, would surrender all the glories of heaven to come and be a baby. To live on earth and to experience everything that we've gone through. And we know that his life in it, there were miracles that were performed. What an amazing time to be alive. All of these things to testify to his power and his authority. And still, we find Jesus submitting to the will of the Father, surrendering himself and yielding himself up, even to die on a cross. The Christmas story is much bigger than just Jesus' birth. If I had to ask you, what is the meaning of Christmas? I think there's a great majority of us that would say it is the celebration of Jesus' birth. And that's a B-minus answer. You're missing, I think, the biggest part. That Jesus came for a purpose to establish peace on earth. Friendship between man and God. That he could make us priests who have confidence to enter these holy places. That he could establish this new and living way. The Christmas story ends at the cross and, or ends at Jesus' resurrection as much as the Easter story does. And looking back at the gospel accounts, if you wanted to turn to Matthew 27, 51, you can see just how big this event was at Jesus' death. When Jesus yielded up his spirit, Matthew writes, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many when the centurion of those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. Jesus in yielding up his life and becoming this perfect sacrifice that we need for this new and living way, the earth shook. 
Can you imagine? The centurion guard who was watching over Jesus stood in awe. Awe and wonder. And at the same time in the temple, this place that we were just describing, this holy place that we have confidence to enter, that under the Levitical system we have no business entering. What a symbol of that separation, but this curtain that is set up inside of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. Because there's no longer any barrier. There's no longer any separation. But that we can really celebrate Christmas and remember that Jesus' mission wasn't just to be a baby in a, wrapped in swaddling cloth for shepherds to come and visit to testify of what had happened. Jesus was a baby because he was establishing peace on earth for you and for me as much as he was with the people of his day and the faithful of the past. And we return to the author of Hebrews' argument. Through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God. Under the new and living way, it's true, every believer has been made a priest, but did you know that there's still a great high priest that stands above us? And like the priest of the Levitical system who would make intercessions to God on behalf of the people representing them, even for the sins that they weren't even aware that they committed, we have a great high priest whose reign and service never ends. Of the lineage of the priest Melchizedek, who makes intercessions for us to the throne of God. Here's the argument. Since you have confidence to enter the holy places on your own, since you pray, since you worship God on your own, since you have a great priest who is over the house of God, there are some things that we should do. All of this, remember, 11 verse 1, describing faith, describing the confidence that we have in the things not seen. Well, there are some important elements that we should follow. Since these things are true, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, and since there is a great high priest, let us first look at the list that is specific to the individual. Because in these different things that the author begins with this let us phrasing. We uh, find a list of things that are individually specific, which means that you should do on your own. And then we find a list of things that we should do collectively together. Because the church was not established for individuals, but for the body. First, let's look at the individual list. Let us draw near with a true heart. Other translations will say sincere heart. The term in Greek, and I think either translation does a fine job of getting this idea across, but the term in Greek very evidently points towards authenticity or um, doing something so genuinely that there is no ulterior motive present. 
Now, this is, I think, an issue in the modern church. Some of the remnant of Christians come to church, and I think the best way to describe it is the fire insurance attitude of salvation. They approached Jesus or this great high priest with an attitude that they would come to him that, well, if anything goes wrong or if all of this stuff about a resurrection and an incarnate God and everything else is true, that I would be protected from the worst. That is hell. Let me try to be as plain as possible. Fire insurance salvation is not a salvation at all. Drawing near to God with a genuine heart is all about yielding. It's all about realizing how great a high priest we have in Jesus. How perfectly established the system has the system God has put up for us. How beautifully woven these narratives are from the beginning of time all the way back to Genesis 3:15 until now. And saying there is nothing in me that I can allow to get in the way of that. Drawing near to God with a true heart is saying, if there is anything inside of me that keeps me from drawing near to you, God, take it out of my life. If there's pride inside of me, take it out. Humble me. Send the circumstances my way that I would be humbled before you, God, that there would be no limits in my life that I could bow down before you. If there's selfishness, God, I pray that you would take that out of me. If there's a relationship in my life that is deterring me from worshiping God the way that I'm supposed to, God, I pray that you would give me the strength that I need to sever that relationship. God, I pray that as you brought me to know you, you would also bring me to draw near to you. Second, let us draw near with the full assurance of faith. The full assurance of faith. Having complete confidence in the things that we didn't see for ourselves, but that we know happened. Modern apologists who have done research and historical research and archaeologists have discovered so many insights and so much proof for the veracity of the events of Calvary that we celebrate which point towards the veracity of the events of the nativity that we celebrate at Christmas. I almost feel like my faith is at a disadvantage 
because it's backed by so much logic and so much reason. I've even said that I think anyone who denies the presence or existence of God has already made a determination in their mind what they want to, uh, what they want to believe because anyone who has any semblance of a rational mind who would investigate the truths of the Christian faith would find them to be so abundantly true it would overwhelm them. And if you need some allegorical evidence for that, or I guess anecdotal, not allegorical, Lee Strobel, a journalist for the Chicago Tribune or the Sun-Times, did the exact thing. And by the end of his investigation, he was so overwhelmed with the truth that backed the gospel. He not only became a Christian, but he became an effective and bold apologist. I say all that just to tip my hat at the fact that it doesn't require much faith to remember that the, or to see that the things that Christians celebrate are true, but to marvel at what the author in Hebrews is actually saying. Even without evidence, even without eyewitness accounts, Have faith that is the full assurance that these things have taken place. That yielding yourself the way I've described isn't a futile effort, but it is something worthwhile. Draw near to God. Again, similar to the first imperative we find, with hearts sprinkled clean. This imagery used by the author obviously points back to a Levitical system where there would be the sprinkling of blood and the priest would continually be washing their hands with pure water um, from the, the, the different vats that would have been inside of the temple. But we find real peace and reconciliation in Christ that we have been sprinkled clean, washed holy, and we're able to approach God. Hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. The author is really, I think, pointing towards the fact that these imperatives are not just necessary but they are absolutely essential for Christians to grow in their faith. In fact, they are so essential that in order for a Christian to mature even to a place of assured salvation, they need to be told these things. Draw near with a true heart. Let that drawing near be with the full assurance of faith, with your heart sprinkled clean and your body washed with pure water, holding fast to the confession of our hope. That is, the things that are yet to come that have been promised to us, that we are assured of and have expectations for without wavering.
Because this new way does not come easy. But in fact, there will be persecution that comes as a result of it. And that persecution will continue to increase if you look down at the end of verse 25 as we see the day, the final day of judgment, drawing near. Really, this author's warning is a a warning of apostasy. And let me define that word really fast because I think sometimes there's some confusion of it. A lot of times in Christian circles, we'll, we'll, we'll see people who are drawn near to the truth of God. They might even come and visit church. They might even understand the gospel. And they never come to a place of actually yielding themselves the way we've described this morning. Actually giving up what's inside of them that they can worship God with all of their heart. And something happens, maybe it's discouragement, maybe it's busyness, it's definitely spiritual warfare. But in those events, those people fall away, even understanding the gospel, never coming to a place of knowing God. And the encouragement then to those is to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. And I love the argument the author gives us, for he who promised is faithful. Hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We're reminded all the more that holding fast to the confession is something more than just building or establishing our faith, but it's something that actually promotes for us the strengthening of the faith that is inside of us. And it's not something that comes easy. It's something that's going to be challenged over and over again. If spiritual warfare takes place in the life of a Christian who's contemplating surrendering themselves, or I guess a pre-Christian would be a better way to say that, a pre-Christian who's contemplating surrendering themselves to the throne of God, becoming a living sacrifice, worshiping with the true heart and full assurance of faith, with their hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience of our bodies washed with pure water, if that's taking place, all the more it is taking place in the life of somebody who's actually surrendered their life. Constantly pushing against what is left. And so we find that the way, as the Jews would have called Christianity before it was called Christianity, the way is not an individual expedition. But the way is something that takes place over a lifetime with a community. The way is founded upon the establishment of the church. That's why we come together. It's ironic to be preaching this sermon on the least attended Sunday of the year. Statistically speaking. But isn't it interesting that coming together as Christians, it is a commandment in the Bible. And not neglecting to come together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, I can't tell you when the day 
is. But I can tell you we are closer to the day today than we were yesterday. 100%. I know that's true. In fact, we're closer to it now than when I first said that. I can feel how close we are. I mean, I'm not very old. I think you all know that. I still have a a youthful physique. But my grandma's been telling me about how worse things have gotten since I was born. My mom's been saying things are getting worse. And these aren't necessarily people of spiritual insider devotion. I wasn't raised in that kind of a house. It's even more tangible to me now. The day that God will pull out His book of remembrance, that the angels have written down the faithful remnant who have been obedient to Him. The day that we will stand before a throne of a King who is righteous and just, and He judges the world for their iniquities and their sin. When all those who are found guilty are cast into a lake of fire, That day is close. I said I love to joke with my friends, I'll see you next year. There is no promise of next year. There is no promise of tomorrow. There's no promise of this afternoon. And if we are really devoted to understanding what God has in store for us, we have to have a mind that is equally aware of that. I don't say that because I want somebody to stand up with a fire insurance kind of faith. I say that so that as Christians who are a faithful remnant, who are standing on behalf of God on the authority that He has given to His church, that we would be reminded how urgent the mission is that we have. That those who come and visit who are curious about what it means to be a Christian, they would not put off yielding their life to somebody as great as our great high priest. And the truth is, if you try to go figure it out on your own, that's exactly what will happen. That's what the author is warning his Jewish readers of Hold fast to this confession, not wavering, because he who promised is faithful. Look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Do you see the transition? We're no no longer talking about an individual, but we're talking about a group. We're talking about a collective let us. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. To experience the real love of Christ that was seen whenever He sacrificed Himself on the cross. To experience what it means to really be a Christian who has surrendered their life to God and lives their life out as a sacrifice. Not just living for themselves, but living for the good works that God has prepared before us. Not neglecting to meet together. Because the body of Christ needs you. The body of Christ 
needs you so that they would be encouraged, that they would be motivated, that they would be stirred up, that they would be reminded what it means to love and to do good works. And if that's not reason enough, because you need the body. Because you need to be stirred up. And you need to be encouraged. And I wonder if you wouldn't think about that the next time we sing a congregational song about what is actually happening on a spiritual level. We actually don't sing as a congregation just because we think you have beautiful voices and we want to hear them all. In fact, if you're self-conscious about your voice, I would encourage you to be more like me and pretend that you just don't know. Because what we're actually doing is a spiritual act of worship. We're listening to the voices around us and we are being encouraged. The lyrics that we sing point to God and sing praise to Him as we marvel at what He has done for us that we could be here. I preach the word that you would be edified and yes, that you would even be encouraged, but it's congregational singing that is actually the the hallmark or the cornerstone of our spiritual worship as we gather as a congregation. That we would hear each other and we would be encouraged by the body. And that is why the writer writes, not neglecting to meet meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. That word encouraged um, actually takes the form there. It means to comfort one another. Because this author knows that whenever we're not together, our life doesn't stop. Well, I mean, think about it. When I leave here, on Sunday or when I'm not here on Wednesday or we're not here on Sunday evening meeting together, I know that your life hasn't stopped. I continue to pray for you. I continue to try and understand what you're going through and what your day's like. Because I know that when I see you again, whenever we come back together, you're going to have gone through stuff. You'll have meetings, you'll have fights with your kids, maybe spouses, whatever. Maybe you'll get in a fender bender. You'll realize that the price of gas has gone up again. You'll lose your favorite fidget spinner. There's some real devastating blows that can take place. And I know that you'll need to be encouraged and reminded that there is nothing that can happen to you that is outside of God's will and that prevents you from drawing closer to Him. And that drawing closer to Him is much more beautiful than anything else that you could possibly have in your life. Let us as individuals draw near with the true heart, with the full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, holding fast to our confession of our hope. And let us collectively 
Consider how to stir up one another, not neglect to meet together, that we could comfort one another. If you're having any difficulty with applying this sermon to your life, there are a list of my notes available on Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. Truly this morning, we walked through the text. The list is right there. And I love these kinds of sermons, not just because they're easier to prepare, but because I have full confidence that that list of imperatives is the inspired Word of God. And I think what's even more interesting about that is that we see how encouraged we should be to not just look forward to celebrating the new year, but how encouraged we should be to live for God today. I'd like to invite you this morning to think about where we started in this sermon series, talking about what hope means, talking about what joy means, what peace means. Now let's try to move the B minus answer for what Christmas is all about. Let's make it an A. Let's remember that Christmas isn't just about one day a year or season, but that Christmas is something that we celebrate all year long as we hold on to the faith that is before us. And we celebrate real peace with God that is established in His sacrifice. Let's realize that every time the clock ticks, we are drawing closer to the day of judgment. That if we haven't surrendered ourselves, or if we're holding something back, if our spiritual worship is unpure because we're unyielding of something in our lives, that we would surrender that. Without hesitation. Because the truth is, tomorrow might be too late. As we reflect on that, we'll stand and sing a song of invitation. What an opportunity we have to listen to the voices around us singing, to be encouraged and stirred up, comforted by one another. If you would, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for your word and your message. I pray that you would comfort our hearts this morning, that you would help us to reflect on our invitation to come to you. God, that we would draw near.